younger, what one word would you use to describe God? teaching in this church and that's why I'm so excited to be speaking today. We are going to continue and go further into depth with what we've been starting to discuss in recent weeks. You see here our new series, our new series that starts today is called Meeting Again for the First Time. What's that supposed to mean? We meet again for the first time. You remember the series that Abuna, that Father Anthony closed last week was called Clear the Air? Clear the Air. And here we looked at some popular misconceptions of God. The God that I grew up with, who never existed in the first place. I walked away from that God, is maybe your experience. And Father Anthony told us, congratulations, well done. You walked away from a God who never existed. So what we're going to do in this series that starts today, we're going to look at a number of gods, the misconception gods that Father Anthony explained to us. And we'll look a bit more in depth what they mean, what they don't mean. And what instead uh, God wants to tell us. So the whole idea of meeting again for the first time is that now we say goodbye to all these gods and we meet again the real God. We discover again the true God. Maybe we've discovered him before, so we see him again. Maybe we discover him for the first time. Today we start with the bodyguard God. And here the basic question is, is God really supposed to protect us from harm at all times? We're going to go into that in a quick second. Here are the four gods. The God I grew up with is the bodyguard God. He's supposed to keep me safe. What happens if harm comes my way? I walk away from God because he didn't do what he was supposed to do. The on-demand God. We look into that next week. And that is the God we pray to and he's supposed to answer my prayers immediately. What if it doesn't happen? I get disappointed. I walk away from that on-demand God. After week, uh, The week after that, the boyfriend God. So that is the emotional God. God is like my best friend. He's by my side. I can feel him. We are touchy-feely and... What if I don't have a touchy-feely God by my side? I get frustrated, I walk away. And finally, the guilt God. And that is the God who holds me accountable for everything and makes me feel so guilty and is the worst thing in the world. So we walk away from that God as well. 
So these are the four goals that don't really exist in the first place. And today we look at what the bodyguard God is and why we are right to walk away from the bodyguard God. So the bodyguard God, basically, that's our desire, isn't it? That we all want to be safe. We all want to be in comfort. It's a natural feeling. It's actually a God-given feeling to some extent. And if I think about the ladies, you know, the ladies, you want to be in safe hands, right? A strong shoulder. You like somebody who protects you. That's the natural instinct of the ladies, so I'm told. The guys, maybe it's more, it's a bit different, right? It's, I mean, the guys, we want to be in control. We want to be strong and we hate suffering, right? When, I, when I'm ill, when I'm at home in bed because I'm ill, I'm suffering and I'm suffering and I hate it and I hate it and there's no shortage of me telling my wife how much I hate it. And maybe some of the wives have a similar experience, like the guys are pretty good at letting everybody know how bad suffering is. We don't like suffering. We don't like it. We hate it. So we also want the bodyguard God who protects us from suffering. And that's our dream. So this young lady here, she always thought God is her bodyguard. That's what she wanted to see. She thought... So that was her dream. The dream of the bodyguard God. Well, to take a bit of a closer look into these things, we look at, we look at the early church. All right, let's look at the early church. We're Orthodox. We basically are the early church, right? It's always good to see in the book of Acts, the early chapters of Acts, how did the early church uh, behave? What did they do? How did they do all these things? The early church. We're going to look into that and uh, we're going to tell the story. I'm not going to read all the scripture of the book of Acts, but I'm going to try and tell the story. And here we go. The situation was Jesus had been killed violently. His followers were terrified. Jesus rose from the dead miraculously. His followers were amazed. Jesus ascended into the heavens in front of their eyes. His followers were confused. And then the Holy Spirit came with power on them. And then when it started to get really interesting right it started things were really beginning to shake up things were beginning to spin out of control and it got a little dangerous here right so well the people of the early church they they continued to meet in their homes and they were discussing what should we do i mean after all they wanted to be safe right they, they wanted to avoid all harm so should we go out and preach openly and you know it's it's too dangerous let's let's not do that let's better stay at home so that's what they did um, they waited a bit until the dust would settle. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. They cultivated their faith at home safely. They even managed to turn away all those that would knock on their doors and ask them, what is it about your new faith? And they would go, you know, we're orthodox here. You don't understand anyway what, you, what we do. So, you know, let's not bother. They prefer to keep a low profile. They didn't want to get into trouble. They didn't want to mess up with the authorities. And you know, at the time, the Sadducees were in power and that high priest guy, he was really dangerous. So better stay away from them. Better stay away from power. Even people started to bring out their sick into the streets because they heard about the healing power of the Holy Spirit. And you know, 
they closed all their doors and the shutters closed because there was contagion risk out there in the street and they had to make sure that the church is protected. They couldn't, you know, put the church in danger. So they rather stayed away from all this. There was this one guy called Stephen. He was an interesting guy in Acts chapter 7. Um, he was careful enough not to stir up too much uh, dust. And he knew that this special investigator, Paul, was uh, Saul, was around. And you better stay away, far away from Saul, okay, because that could get you in serious trouble. So that's what he did. There's this other guy called Philip. Philip was also a very careful man. When he went on business trips around the country, he would share his faith privately. You know, it's a, it's a, it's a private matter after all. It's a personal matter. So you don't speak too openly about your faith. At some point you heard that this Ethiopian government official was passing through the country, finance minister or something. But Philip knows exactly, if you mess with foreign diplomats, you're going to be in serious trouble. So he stayed away as far as he could. Better be safe. And the early church was very successful. They managed to get out of trouble. God was faithful with them. He protected them from any harm or suffering. And they lived happily ever after until they, won until they all died one by one. And so did the church. All right, let's look at the New Testament, the book of Acts. We're Orthodox after all, right? So we are the early church. So let's start in the book of Acts. It's the first couple of chapters. I'm not going to read the whole scripture, but I'm going to tell the story basically. So what was the situation? Jesus had just been killed violently. His followers were terrified. He rose again from the dead miraculously, and they were amazed. He ascended into the heavens in front of their eyes. And they were confused, and the power of the Holy Spirit came on them, and then things really started to spin out of control. It was a dangerous situation. Here's a picture of the early church. They continued to meet in homes, right? They would, uh, they would pray for each other, but they would not keep it there. I mean, what was going on was exciting. There was new life that came from God. There was freedom from sin and shame. What Jesus had done by his, by his, on his cross, by his resurrection, ascending into the heavens and then the pouring out of the Holy Spirit. This is something the world had never seen before and they just couldn't stop talking about it. Of course, they would go to the synagogue, they would talk to everybody about it. And when they met, they were thinking, you know, I mean, some of us have even been in prison. What shall we do? Shall we continue to speak like that openly? They might lock us up again. Well, they couldn't stop talking, so they didn't really care, right? Everybody was on board and so they went. Some got thrown into prison. Did they stop talking? No. Some were beaten up, even killed. Did they stop talking? No. People brought out their sick into the streets even. And what did they do? They were walking along and God's healing power came upon the sick. And their people were even hoping that the shadow of Peter's cloak would fall upon them so they would get a little bit of this blessing. This is so exciting. There was one guy called Stephen. And he was a man full of God, full of the grace of God. And he went out and he did miraculous signs. And he gave an impressive speech in defense of the faith, even in front of the authorities. You should read that in Acts chapter 8, uh, chapter 7 it is. He didn't even spare his own life when this guy Saul, this special investigator, came around to round up all those that were following the new way, as they called it. There was this other guy, Philip. He was also an impressive guy. As soon as the persecution started in Jerusalem, he, he left for Samaria. 
And what did he do? He, start, he, he continued just talking and sharing his faith with everybody. And people got healed and there was plenty of joy and freedom that came. At some point, Philip heard about this Ethiopian government official who was around. This like a finance minister or something. Really important guy. And Philip, he was sensitive to God speaking and he was at the ready. He was, God, if you need me there, I will go. Where is this guy? No matter what the cost. And he went to that road where that convoy would come and then the Ethiopian treasurer, he would invite him up until his, into his car and he would explain to him, look, this is what the gospel really is and this is who Jesus really is. The guy was amazed. He was, let's get baptized. Let's get baptized. And off he went on his way rejoicing. And we know the rest of the story. Yes. I have a red light here, so I might need a little bit more. All right, here we go. So that Ethiopian treasurer, he went home and what did he do? He went on exactly the same way. He shared his faith and he basically started what we know as the Ethiopian church. Thank God we have so many Ethiopian brothers and sisters in this room. So how come? How come they were so excited? Why is that? They didn't care about the pain because they were on a mission. They didn't care about the pain, the danger, the risk, the suffering it would entail because they were on a mission. And those of us who were here earlier during the liturgy, we heard how Abuna Elisha was already talking about that mission. That mission to which God calls us and he sends us out and it comes at a cost. We were talking about wolves and lambs earlier on. So there's some risk here, but it's so worth it, that new mission. I want to share a bit about my own story is that I felt I first to do the mission. We do the mission. The early church experience is a bit like childbirth and parenting. All right, that's my recent experience. We have three little children, and this young guy here, his name is Paul. He was just born on that day, and you can see that he's, have, he's had a rough time. God's mission is how he brings about new life in the church, in our families, in our faith, in whatever way. And we enter into God's into God's mission as parents, for example. There are many other examples, but parenting is one example. We enter into something that is completely unpredictable. We have no idea what's happening. Here we have this new life that God has given us into our lives. Are we going to count the cost? Are we going to tell him, look, this is going to be too exhausting. Maybe I'd rather not do it. Can I return this little guy? No, we don't, because God has put us on this mission. It's a mission that sweeps you away with it. It's energizing. It's exhausting. It's something that is bigger than myself. When you have your first baby, you realize God is taking you into something that is so much bigger than yourself. And we go along with it. We are utterly unprepared, but miraculously guided and carried through. And we, take sac we bring sacrifice and we start looking away from ourselves. We are struggling to adjust to the new mission. We are sensitive to God. Where is he taking us? Because we have no clue. But we are in this together as a family and also as a church family. And it will cost you something. Let me show you here. This is me before we had children. You might think it's my younger teenage brother. My wife hasn't changed at all. But see, I have 
changed quite a little bit. When we pulled out this picture, my son Paul was asking me, Daddy, who is this man and this woman? So by now I've changed a little bit. Um, but the truth is, this is what I look today. My wife told me, you don't have to use this picture. They can just look at you. There you go. But God tells us here, we do not lose heart. We are outwardly wasting away. Yes, indeed. Yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles, the suffering that we incur, are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. Is suffering and pain involved in parenting? In parenting, yes, that's for sure. You see all my gray hair and the wrinkles in my face? Yes, and I'm proud of every single one of them. Why? Because of this. Because of this, because it's worth it. And every wrinkle and every gray hair is worth it. It's the best investment in the world that you can make. It's new life, it's bigger than yourself. And same with the church. Same with God's mission that he puts into, you know, into which God puts us. He invites us to join his mission, to be involved in something that is greater than ourselves. And here the verse goes on. We fix our eyes not on what is seen, not on the suffering, not on the momentary troubles, but on what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary. But what is unseen is eternal. And that is the life that, God's put, that God gives us. The new life in my own faith, the new life in my own family, the new life in the church, the mission into, to which he wants us to be a part of. Let's have no illusions about this mission. The mission is not world peace. Okay? We are the church. We are not the United Nations. The UN is very, has very noble goals. They want peace on earth. Sometimes as Christians, we tend to get disappointed when we are praying and looking for peace on earth. Of course, we want to be peacemakers. And where we live, where we work, we want to be people of reconciliation and of peace. But if we look at the Bible and what the Bible tells us, what Jesus tells us about the last days, what we read in the book of Revelations at the end of the Bible, there's a lot of trouble ahead. And we should have no illusions. The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. The world passes away. If we set all our hopes on world peace, we'll be frustrated. Peace I give you. I peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. So yes, there is peace, but it's a different peace. It's the peace of God that comes into our lives. It's the peace of God that transcends our understanding. It's the peace of God that we receive not to get away from the trouble, but we receive this peace amid the trouble. That's the peace of God. So we need to be aware that Christianity is not an escape system. It's not the bodyguard, right? The bodyguard is an escape system. For us to avoid reality, it is a way that leads us to grasp what reality is, and by God's grace, to navigate through it to our eternal home. We're on a mission. We're on a journey. And we're navigating through this world, which is a dangerous place, and a place that incurs suffering. But God is our chief navigator, and he helps us to navigate to our eternal home. Jesus tells us very plainly, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. 
And let's get a bit more serious about the pain and the suffering that we see. It's not just the wrinkles and the gray hair. I have a friend back at home in Germany. His name is Sebastian. He's my age. He's got three kids. He's super involved in church, everything. He was diagnosed with colon cancer. I'm not sure if we're going to see him again alive. Many of us know about the young man Anthony who died in a car crash recently. He was part of the church in Baltimore. Some of us have been to the funeral. Suffering and pain is a reality in our lives. We've all seen these news on and on from Egypt about the bombings, the attacks against Christians, bombings in churches. People have died, women, children. I would like to read part of a testimony that comes from a mother of a 10-year-old girl who was badly injured and then died a few days ago, a few days after the attack. This is the girl, Maggie. And the mother said, In the beginning I was praying and telling God, Lord, heal her. Lord, please. But at the end, I was telling him, Do you want her as a bride? As valuable as she is to us. She isn't too valuable to us that we would spare her for you. But if you are seeing that her salvation is now, and that the place she will be in will be a good and perfect place, I approve. And she went on to pray, God is able, and let it be according to your will, Lord. If you are going to take her to heaven, we don't object. And we are telling you, Lord, she is the sacrifice of our love for you. Accept her from us. So we see suffering is real, right? And the question is how we respond. Suffering is real, but so is God's presence with us. <clears throat> and God is not somehow there in spite of defeat and pain. It, he makes his presence near in and through defeat and pain, weakness and powerlessness. God is the one who incurred all this suffering in the first place by himself. The cross is at the center of our faith. And Jesus' ultimate suffering so that we can be with God. And in that suffering... He has cleared the way we can be with him. He can take residence with us. His presence can be with us. And we experience suffering. And often people's experience is that in that suffering, the presence of God is felt in a deeper sense than ever before. We meet God in our suffering. Often we meet God more in our suffering than when we feel well. If you and I feel well, often we are just too busy and too distracted to go to God. But when we are in a moment of suffering, we do run to God. We run to God. Where else shall we run to? Hmm? And how can these atheists say that we've heard so much about from Father Anthony during the last couple of weeks? These, these atheists that point at our suffering and they tell the world, look, because these people are suffering so much, God cannot, re cannot be real. This Proves the, this proves that God doesn't exist. How can they say that? The truth is, our suffering pulls us even closer to God. It makes God's existence, God, God's reality in our lives even, even more intimate, even more real. God sometimes changes the situation when we pray in suffering. Yes, he does. But more often he changes us in that situation. God wants to change our hearts. 
God wants to enter into a deeper relationship with him. And sometimes it's even that exposure to risk and of suffering that teaches us more of the dependence on God that we need in our own lives. We've heard earlier from Abuna Elisha about the story where they were going to Congo, a country in civil war. And they were going from checkpoint to checkpoint. And their heart sank when they were stripped of all the, all the stuff they had in their car and how God was teaching Abuna Elisha a very personal, a very personal lesson that we need to rely on God in all these circumstances. That is, a, that is an experience of suffering where God comes close to us. I myself, I was part of a, of a short-term mission trip many years ago. We went to Sri Lanka. This was a German Christian group, and we went to Sri Lanka in 2005. There was a huge tsunami in the Indian Ocean, and about 300,000 people were killed in the whole region. We went to, to Sri Lanka to serve the people who were suffering as part of a Christian mission that was working on the ground of Sri Lankans, of locals. And we came in and we went there, and this was the time when Sri Lanka was still a, a civil war country. Maybe you remember the Tamil Tigers terrorist group that was active in the north of Sri Lanka. We went to the Jaffna province in the very north. So we had to pass through all these checkpoints to go through the, terror, through the, terror, uh, the, the territory that was held by the terrorists. And I remember this was a... This was a a distance of maybe 200 miles we had to cover, and it took us like 24 hours in a bus. And we were sleepless night and all that. And I was so exhausted, and I was so devastated. And we were in that checkpoint with these people, these, these Tamil tiger terrorists, and there was like barbed wire everywhere in the wilderness, and they were checking us. And I was praying like, God, I mean, I need you here, right? There's nothing more that we can do. That was my, my moment of, of dependence on God. And what happens one moment later is there's this guy who comes from outside the camp, the, the checkpoint, from behind the barbed wire. He looks at us, he waves at me, and he, he has a smiley, happy face, and he tells us, you must be that Christian group that came to help us. We are so happy that you are here. And I was like, God, is that an angel or a vision or is that a real guy or whatever it is? But thank you, God, you're meeting me in my point of suffering. You're meeting me in my point of weakness. And off the guy went. He was gone. Maybe just like Philip was taken away after his job with the Ethiopian treasurer was done. And I felt such an encouragement because I allowed this, uh, this, this risk, this mission to take me in and to go out and to expose myself into a situation, get out of my comfort zone, and there I felt God was meeting me very personally in the face of this guy in the middle of my suffering and my own devastation. And that gave us the motivation to go on and bless people in his name. So God, wants, God takes us through trials, and these trials make us bitter or they make us better. What does that mean? It, it's, it's our choice, ultimately, whether we respond to suffering in our lives with bitterness, with regret, with resentment, finger pointing at God. How could you have allowed this to happen? You were supposed to be my bodyguard, God. Or we allow this encounter with God at the depth of my heart, in the moment of suffering, that God speaks into my heart and I understand his suffering at a deeper level and he comes to me and he makes me a better person because he takes my faith to a higher level. Let's have trials make us better, not bitter. Suffering sometimes appears like a detour on our journey. We want to make headway, but this suffering occurs, and we, think, we sometimes think we are wasting time, and where is all this going? It's leading nowhere. The truth is sometimes the suffering even ends up being the accelerator of our mission. Not a detour, but an acceleration. And how is that possible? Remember these guys? We've seen all these guys in recent weeks. The series Before Clear the Air, 
was the series about the witnesses. And we've heard a number of talks about these people. Here is Saint Fotini, the woman that Jesus meets at the well. And she ends up being a great missionary. She goes out, she gets locked up in prison, and all the prison turns to Christ. They take her to the Emperor Nero. He wants to burn her alive or whatever he wants to do. And what does she do? She converts half of his household to Christ. She dies in the end, yes. But she was in a mission, and she didn't give up. And the persecution that she endured only accelerated her mission, and she accepted it as an opportunity to bless. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the German uh, pastor and theologian during the Second World War, under Nazi Germany uh, suppression, he was already in the United States, and he decided he has to go back to serve his country, to serve the church, make, make sure that not the entire German church would go along with the Nazis, as it appeared. And he was locked up in prison, and we still see today that some of his writings in prison, the theological writings, the testimonies, is some of the deepest theological stuff that you find in the, sec in the, in the 20th century. He's got a book that is called The Cost of Discipleship. That's well worth a read, The Cost of Discipleship. He was killed by the Nazis just a few days before the war ended, and we wonder why is that. Maybe it has just accelerated and amplified the effect of his testimony to the, testimony to the whole world. We see Elizabeth and Jim Elliot, and these were real missionaries, right? They went to, was it Ecuador, to reach a tribe that had never heard of the gospel before. And Jim, he got himself killed by these people. And how did Elizabeth respond? By bitterness? No. She went anyway. And she lived with these people that had killed her husband. Because she wanted to show God's love. She wanted to show her forgiveness, how forgiveness is real. How God changes our hearts. And that was ultimately the accelerator that helped convert this whole tribe to God. And people, people, people turned to Christ. So our suffering can be a stepping stone and open up new opportunities. Let's go back to, uh, to Acts in chapter, in chapter 8, where Philip was sent out to Samaria. Why? Because of, this, because of the, uh, the persecution that had started in Jerusalem. And that's, that's where he started his mission in Samaria. They may have thought it as a detour on their journey. They may have thought, now we've set up all the schedules in Jerusalem, and here, here's our plan to evangelize the whole city, and then the persecution strikes. And they might have thought, this is now wasting our time. And we are, drove, we are driven away across the whole country. But it was maybe exactly God's plan this way. So let's, let's sense in our lives what are the detours, what seems to be a detour, that it might indeed be an accelerator to our mission. And God is the one who takes our baggage and turns it into a blessing. And hereby I mean not only that God takes our own suffering, the suffering maybe that we have experienced, he heals our heart, but it goes more than that. We take a further step. God takes this experience, the healing experience in myself, so that I can make it available as a blessing for other people. And this is what the, the, the witnesses did that I just quoted. But there's many other examples. I don't know what is your childhood trauma or the suffering or the baggage that you carry. Most of us baggy one, uh, carriage one type of baggage or another. In my case, when I grew up as a child, my parents divorced when I was seven. And um, married people, parents, please stay together. Divorce for a child is the worst thing that happens. It's such a huge disaster. It takes years and years and years, and it took me many, many years to find back my own confidence, to find confidence as a person, to find my identity, and to find confidence to start a relationship myself, to start uh, to get married and start a, start a family. But it was a long healing process. God takes this suffering 
this baggage, he turns it into a blessing and sometimes some sort of a burden that he puts on our heart. And I mean this now in a positive sense. It's been such a, such a burden, such a, um, such a desire deep in my heart to bless families, to sit with married couples, to see with singles what's the best way, you know, to match up in a godly way. To see when kids, you know, families with little kids and they're struggling. I mean, we're still on our journey. But I guess this is part of, part of my motivation deep down because I carry this baggage. And God has turned it into a blessing for others. I don't know what your story is. Some people are suffering because they've lost a loved one or they lost a child. Or they were so desperate to have a baby and they couldn't. Some people were abused as children. Some people grow up in countries that are atheist and, uh, and they feel I've been deprived of the opportunity to ever meet God when I was young. But this baggage can turn into a blessing if we take it as such because Jesus has redeemed all, all of these experiences of suffering in our lives. And we need to accept it, we need to embrace it and we need to make it part of our mission. And that's why we need to ask not why did this happen but what is it for? It's so easy to ask why. You know why is a backward looking question. Like I look into the past, how could God ever allow this to have happened in the past? And I spend my time and I get imprisoned in that, in that thought. But if we ask what for, we look into the future and we let the past be the past and we invite God to come and redeem, to transform us deep down, to heal us and to, to, make, us, to make us an agent of his grace for somebody else who might have been suffered from the same experience but you being the one that God has healed, you can be his agent of grace in a way that nobody else can because you've been through the whole th you've been through the same thing so let's let's sense what let's sense what that part of the mission is that god wants to put us into let's sense how god wants to use us for somebody else's blessing with the baggage that that i carry let's all right let's let's wrap up i have a few let's here and those are some suggestions how we can how we can deal with this. Let's drop the bodyguard God. Let's ditch him and let's get real. The bodyguard God, the bodyguard God is a bit like is a bit like the Berlin Wall. Remember the Berlin Wall? I'm from Germany. The Berlin Wall was built by the communists in East Germany, and their propaganda was we are going to protect you. We're going to protect you from from the Western capitalist influence, right? They called it a, a protection rampart. The truth is, it was a prison wall, and people got imprisoned. And after years and years and years, after the peaceful revolution in East Germany, the wall was pushed, pushed over from east to west by people who didn't accept this anymore. Let's not accept this anymore. The bodyguard God is not only an illusion, it's a deception. It's an imprisonment. If we allow the bodyguard God to imprison us in our comfort zone, and this is something we only turn around ourselves, we look at our own desires for protection, we completely miss out what's going on out there. And this will keep us from getting out of the comfort zone, from joining God's mission for us. Let's embrace God's mission. Let's see what the mission is. Let's allow something greater to come into our lives and make ourselves part of that. Let's run to God when the suffering hits. The suffering hits. Some people worse than others, but we're in this together. And where should we run to? The atheists don't offer any more attractive uh, way, any more attractive destination to run to. Let's use our baggage to bless others. Let's, let's use our scars and how we've been, we've been experiencing suffering and how God has healed us to pass it on to other people. And to use that, to use that like, 
like an instrument of blessing. It's a bit like a secret weapon, really, um, that God gives us and that nobody else has. And let's not disregard that. And let's follow Jesus, our captain. And here I ask the music team to come back on stage. We're going to sing a song as we close. And after the song, we're going to have a prayer. Because we want to take a look at Jesus. And he's our captain. He's our soul's trusted Lord. And all my allegiance, all our allegiance is rightfully his. He's not our bodyguard God. He's our captain who guides us and steers us through the rough waters. And he shows us where to go. And in his hands, we'll be safe ultimately when we navigate through these uncharted waters. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and God, Amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you from the depth of our heart, not because you're a bodyguard, God, but because you're not, Lord, but because we know that no matter what happens to us, your purpose for us is so much greater than just to be happy in this world and safe in this world and no bruises. No parent who loves their child, Lord, will ever spoil and coddle in that way and never allow them to see bad things. So we thank you, Lord, not that you protect us from all bad things, but that you make all bad things into good things and that you have a way, Lord, where you can take even our hurt and turn it into a good thing. And you can take even the pain and the suffering that so many people see in this world today and you can use it as a way to draw us near to you, to build our faith and to be a blessing to others. I pray, Lord, that you would give us like the courage to face our pain and to face our suffering, not to run away from it, but to face it with you and to use it to draw us near to you. Thank you, Lord, for this message. And we want throughout this series, Lord, to learn more about who you really are, not about who we think you are, who we've been taught you are, but who you really are, so we can deepen our relationship with you. We pray these things in the mighty name of your son, Jesus, the prayers of all of your saints. Here it says, we pray thankfully, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. In Christ Jesus our Lord, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Amen.